All right. Well, welcome tonight. We are going to get into the fun stuff tonight, UFOs and UAPs. So can't wait uh, to talk about that. But first, in light of all of the uh, growing technological intrusions, we're going to talk about alien intrusions tonight, but in, li in light of the technological... Yes, am I not on? Testing, one, two, one, two, <laughs> testing, one, two. There we go. All right. That was my fault, by the way, lest you tar and feather our AV team. Uh, we would never do that. All right, so we're going to talk about alien intrusions, but I thought I would, uh, I would start with a cartoon that I got sent today that I thought was pretty funny that talks about technological intrusions and hacking and tracking and, and the control grid. Here's a guy walking his dog. He comes upon this big, you know, monstrosity of a technological uh, piece of equipment, and he hollers up to the guy, what is that thing? The guy says, it's a high-tech machine to spy on our enemies. And then the guy goes, well, then why is it pointed at my house? Good question. Good question. So we've been talking about uh, setting the stage demonically, and uh, we are in the midst of talking about some of the paranormal activity, and as I mentioned tonight, we'll get to UFOs and UAPs, but I want to spend some time in the text a little bit as we set the stage uh, for that. And then I've got a short a video uh, that I want to play that sort of sets the stage for the recent developments in this arena of UFOs and uh, UAPs. Uh, but by way of review, of course, the big picture here is we're talking about the Luciferian conspiracy, which involves Satan, evil spirits, and his human accomplices. And we're looking in this uh, current uh, part of the series at uh, the efforts of his evil spirits, as we shall see when we look at a few scriptures here in just a moment. But uh, evil spirits could involve uh, demons, could involve uh, Nephilim, could involve fallen angels, if you think those are different than demons. But all together as one group, they are the Satan's unseen army that manifests itself uh, in various ways, and also influences in various ways, as we shall see. Uh, but we're talking about how the battle, of course, started out in the heavenly realm as Satan attempted a coup in heaven. And uh, when he was rebuffed, he took a third of the angels with him and has been targeting the earthly realm ever since. And the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more that cosmic battle that is always raging in the heavenlies seems to be spilling over into the earthly realm. So we looked at several, over the last few weeks, manifestations of evil spirits. We talked about the Nephilim. We looked at some specific examples in Scripture of demon possession from the first century. And then we uh, dove in last week to other paranormal type uh, evil manifestations. And we looked at a few scriptures. Some of them I'm going to review now, but a lot of them are new uh, for this week. Again, just establishing the biblical basis. Everything we see and hear has to be run through the grid of scripture. What does the Bible say about the upsurge and evil uh, spiritual activity that is, in, that is taking place the closer we get to the return of Christ? So we went to Revelation 12. And we saw how war broke out in heaven between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. Uh, Michael, of course, is the archangel, according to the Bible. Jude 9, for example, mentions him as the archangel, the leader of God's angelic army, uh, the most powerful of all the holy angels, the good angels. And um, he ranks as high among the unfallen angels as Satan does among the fallen. Satan is the leader, uh, a cherub, a leader of all of these uh, fallen angels. So John, in, in writing the book of Revelation here at this point, sees this battle take place uh, in the heavenlies between Satan and his angels and Michael, uh, I mean, and uh, uh, 
and Michael and his angels, yeah. And so this is what's going to take place toward the end of the tribulation uh, as we get close to the final battle of Armageddon and the return of Christ. Uh, so we know these types of battles uh, take place. Um, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul talks about how uh, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. For if anyone comes preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, several references in the New Testament, I'm going to get to a few more here in a moment, that talk about the evil spirits, uh, which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well uh, put up with it. And he goes on to say, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel uh, of light. And so 2 Thessalonians 2 is a great passage, one of the key passages that gives us some information about the future Antichrist. And it says the lawless one, that's his reference here to the Antichrist, uh, will, his coming will be according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. If you think about the source of this battle that is raging right now, and of course we've talked at length already on our Tuesday night prophecy night, and I've addressed at length in the Spirit of the Antichrist books, the, the human accomplices, you know, the Klaus Schwab's, the World Economic Forum, the globalists, the, the, the political leaders, and so forth. Um, but remember, those are all just pawns in the game of what is ultimately a spiritual battle. And so when we get to the tribulation, of course, we won't be here. We will have been raptured. But on earth, those that, as this battle reaches its final seven-year climax, those powers and signs that emanate from the heavens will take on even more uh, vibrant manifestations here in the realm of time, space, and matter. Jesus mentioned also that during that future tribulation uh, time, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. Uh, Paul talks, or, or back to John in Revelation 13, he talks about how during the tribulation, the false prophet, that's who he is here in the context, the second in command, is going to perform great signs, even making fire come down out of heaven. Uh, he's going to deceive people using those signs, which he was granted to do. Think about today how many people are deceived because of demonic activity. Uh, you know, fortune tellers, soothsayers, all of the different uh, Ouija boards and things like that that can manifest evil right before their very eyes that then makes believers out of these people. But what they're believing is a lie. Uh, Randy and I talked about that in a recent a podcast and how there's even now a Christian alternative to that, which is just as evil, just as bad, called the spirit board, where people can communicate with God through essentially a Ouija board. It's unbelievable. Um, anyway, the false prophet was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. Remember, that the Antichrist is going to have set up all throughout the globe these images of him, not unlike ancient Near Eastern world leaders like Nebuchadnezzar and others used to do back in the day. But Paul tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Principalities is the Greek word arche. It's used 58 times in the New Testament. It refers to the, the highest order, if you will, of you know, demonic powers and evil spirits. It's the first rank. Uh, it's often translated rulers and powers. And then he uses a different word for powers here. We wrestle against principalities and against powers. That's just the standard word for uh, authority. Uh, and it refers to territorial powers uh, I, in, in the context here, I believe. And then against the rulers of the darkness of this age, that's referring to those with special rulership in the present world. If you look up 
the Greek word for ruler here, it's kosmokrator, uh, kosmokrator, world uh, ruler. And it, the, the first entry in the Greek lexicon for this use of this word in the Bible and in extra-biblical literature, we have a ton of Greek literature, obviously, by the time the New Testament was written, there was all kinds of Greek literature. So you see this word kosmokrator referring to, according to the top lexicon, spirit beings who have parts of the cosmos, the world, cosmos, under their control. And so that's what he's talking about here when he talks about the rulers of the darkness of this age dark because we can't see them, but they are very much there. And that's why Paul tells us that's who our battle is against. And then he also adds a fourth category there, spiritual hosts of wickedness. These are particularly evil, evil spirits, uh, those that really are, you know, focus on the worst of the worst types of manifestations we see. But let's just take a survey of a few other passages that I believe apply to what we now are seeing is this huge upsurge in what traditionally has been called uh, UFOs. Uh, Ephesians has a lot to say about this spiritual battle and evil and wickedness uh, in the unseen realm. If you go back and read the book of Ephesians uh, and you know what went on when Paul visited Ephesus, you know there was all kinds of uh, evil uh, demonic activity there. But he talks about here how we once walked according to the course of this world, which is what? According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. What spirit? An evil spirit. Ultimately, a satanic spirit. And remember, Satan's goal is to keep the lost lost. He's blinding them, unbelievers, to the gospel, blinding their hearts to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And so any unbeliever is essentially being influenced by the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience, there's a reference to unbelievers. That's what we all were at one point until you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. At that point, you passed from light, from uh, darkness to light, from death to life, and you became no longer a child of wrath, a child of Satan, but a child of, of Christ, of God. Um, and so we're no longer sons of disobedience. But that spirit is the evil spirit. By the way, believers who are a child of God can act like a children of the devil. We read that in 1 John. Uh, just because positionally we are a child of God now by faith alone in Christ alone doesn't mean we don't have that old fleshly nature that sometimes rears its ugly head. And consequently, we can you know, appear to be in, the, in our actions and our behaviors a child of the devil, even though we're not a technically one. Uh, another passage from Ephesians. It says in verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. When Jesus rose from the dead, he won the battle. He defeated all of Satan's army, all of his evil spirits. Uh, it's game over. Unfortunately, Satan hasn't accepted defeat, and he, he never waves the white flag of surrender, and he's self-deceived, which is the worst kind of deception, and he thinks he can win this battle. God, in his sovereign plan of the ages, is allowing things to continue to unfold precisely according to his timetable, which he and he alone dictates, and he and he alone knows. But it's following the blueprint that we see in Scripture. We are currently living in the church age, Someday the Lord's going to rescue the church before the great and terrible day of the Lord's wrath. After the rapture, the seven-year tribulation will commence, as predicted in the Old and New Testaments alike. That's when the battle will really heat up, and ultimately Christ will come back 
with us, coming back with him. He will be victorious at the Battle of Armageddon. Satan will be cast in prison. He's not quite done yet. He, his doom is still yet future at that point, but he's cast in prison uh, for a thousand years. Uh, Christ reigns over the millennial phase of the kingdom for a thousand years. We'll be very much participating in that kingdom, even though we will have our glorified bodies, as will Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. They'll all be back with us in this long-awaited earthly kingdom. It'll last a thousand years on the present earth. At the end of that time, this present earth will be destroyed, as the Bible talks about in Revelation 21 and in 2 Peter 3. And then the new heavens and the new earth will commence. And at that point, all unbelievers and all evil spirits, Satan included, will be cast forever and be tormented day and night forever in uh, the lake of fire. So Christ, we need to understand, is above all of these evil spirits. That's why John, in, in 1 John 4, which is the primary text for my Spirit of the Antichrist books and my forthcoming book, uh, is said, he, he tells us in 1 John 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We need to never forget that. In fact, one of the purposes of the present age, as Paul goes on to tell us, the church age, is that through us, God might be made known uh, the, the wisdom of God might be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. You realize that's the reason Satan hates the church? Because he looks at you and he looks at me and he sees a perfect example of God's grace, a quintessential example. He sees fallen humanity whom Satan led to fall when he tempted us in the garden uh, and corrupted us with sin and brought death into the world, Romans 5.12. He sees what he views, Satan, as sort of his, his victory, his trophy. Look, I defeated God's highest pinnacle of creation, humanity, made in the image of God, and I corrupted that image, marred that image by sin when I tempted them. Well, when he sees believers, he sees not you know, the depths of wickedness and the, and the sin. That sin's gone. He sees the blood of Christ that covers us. Uh, from all unrighteousness and, and he sees you know redeemed people and so that's one of the purposes of, of, of the church age today is to remind Satan of God's incredible wisdom and grace and, and he's manifesting that to these principalities and powers that's why Satan really hates believers not only is his goal to keep the lost lost but his goal is to kill steal and destroy unbelievers he wants to kill us. He wants to steal our hope and our confidence and our assurance. He wants to keep us doubting our salvation, wondering if we're really saved. He wants to keep us defeated so that we're not uh, engaged in the battle like Paul tells us we should in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Then we can go to Romans 8. I think this is a fantastic uh, reminder where, I don't know if you've ever connected the spiritual aspect of this and the spiritual battle, but it's a famous passage in Romans 8 that speaks to the assurance of the believer the eternal security, more specifically, of the believer, which is the basis for our assurance. And he says, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But he goes on to say, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Remember, angels are created beings. Uh, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as evil as these spirits are, and as horrific as some of the things that they are doing are, uh, we, we, uh, we never need fear that somehow they can undo 
what Christ did for us the moment we placed our faith in him. Our salvation is secure. Paul goes on in Colossians to say he, Christ has disarmed the principalities and powers. In fact, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it at the cross is what he's talking about there. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, this is Christ, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And they are. That's the reason, uh, you know, when you are dealing with some type of evil spirit, by claiming the name of Christ, appealing to Christ and his word, not in some type of mystical subjective way, but based on the authority of scripture, uh, they, they're, they're powerless. That's what Jesus did. We follow his example. Remember when Satan tempted him for 40 days and three times Christ responded with scripture, with the word, and that's the model. Uh, we can go back to Daniel chapter 10, where uh, Daniel has uh, prayed and he's waiting on this uh, uh, angelic messenger to come from God and deliver uh, the message. And we read, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So this me in the context is this angelic messenger who was delayed in coming to Daniel and uh, delayed three weeks, in fact. And, uh, you know, and this is Michael, the archangel, had to intervene and, and do battle with him. And just as the prince of the kingdom of Persia, uh, or just as Michael's an archangel, so is the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So we know this was a spiritual uh, battle. Uh, he, this evil angel opposed God's purposes. An angelic hostility and conflict in the unseen world has been around since Satan got kicked out of heaven. We could go back to Colossians, this time in chapter 1, where we're told uh, Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now, a lot of folks from you know our arena, the dispensational arena, who believe in the literal, grammatical, historical understanding of Scripture, they get all hung up anytime someone uses the word kingdom when it doesn't refer to the future earthly kingdom. And I understand it because sadly there's all kinds of bad theology out there proclaiming the kingdom is now, replacement theology, kingdom now theology, and all that. But let's be, we have to be biblically honest and understand that there are a few occasions where the Bible uses the word kingdom to refer in broadly speaking to the, to the battle lines, to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. It doesn't preclude there from being a future literal earthly kingdom, precisely as the Bible tells us there will be, even down to the boundaries of that kingdom in Israel emanating from Jerusalem. But here, Paul is speaking of the kingdom in a broader sense, and that you know when we get saved by faith, we become part of the kingdom of the Son of His love. And we're no longer part of the power of darkness. We're no longer children of wrath, as we talked about. A moment ago. Now, what we need to remember, and I'm, I'm always thinking of uh, this passage from Job when I think about this, is that the earth is the devil's playground. Remember, he can still come and go to heaven as he did with Job and as he is now accusing the brethren, accusing believers. At the midpoint of the tribulation, we read that he's going to be banished, Revelation 12, from heaven and no longer have access to go knock on God's door and make accusations and so forth. But right now he can come and go. But that 
being the case, we need to remember his home, if you will, is this earth. God asked Satan, where do you come from? And he said, I came from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, Job 2.2. So the earth really is the devil's playground. So even though he is emanating in the, you know, the atmosphere above the earth and sometimes can go all the way to the third heaven and interact with God, he is very much, and his evil spirits, very much coming back and forth between the heavenly realm, the unseen realm, that other dimension outside of time, space, and matter, and, you know, this realm. And so that leads me to our topic for tonight, UFOs and UAPs. UFOs, of course, unidentified flying objects, as they were called in government documents for 75 years. Um, UAPs was, until recently, uh, the new term that meant unidentified aerial phenomena, as we're going to get to in a moment, the most recent government agency that has changed its name and is tracking this and giving reports to the intelligence committees in Congress and the Senate and so forth. And they have broadened the term from unidentified aerial phenomena to unidentified anomalous phenomena to include sea, land, air, space even, types of unexplained phenomena. But when we talk about UFOs and UAPs, we're talking about what traditionally people uh, mistakenly assumed were aliens from another planet. Uh, that's not the biblical record at all. In fact, it is, contradicts the biblical worldview. Uh, but UFOs are real, uh, and everybody should believe in them. Uh, they were tested by millions of eyewitness accounts, secret government studies, videos, and, and today we have even high-tech FLIR videos that are, you know, unquestionable. These aren't just home videos that someone might have doctored. These are very high-definition type uh, documents that have been declassified, videos and pictures and so forth. The question isn't whether UFOs are real. The question is, what are they? As indicated by the traditional name, UFO, they are unidentified. We don't really know what they are. Um, and that's because they're not of this world. They are demonic. And, you know, you, you can't always tell when some spiritual being is manifesting in, 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 in a material form really what's going on. You know, from on the good side, we know angels can manifest as human beings. They visited Lot in Genesis, and, and we know biblically that that can happen. Same thing is true of bad angels, evil spirits. And so... Uh, you know, this is what we're talking about um, tonight. Uh, it's, we're living in a fascinating time um, where more than ever before in history, and again, this is a sign of the times. This is the whole premise of my book, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist. Chapters 9 and 10 are all about UFOs, and in volume 2, that is. Chapters 9 and 10 are all about UFOs and UAPs, you know, reaching unprecedented exposure and media coverage and you know uh, military uh, discussion uh, because we are getting closer and closer uh, to the return uh, of Christ and so we have the establishment of the US Space Force right here and based right here in Colorado uh, the USSF uh, that was established during the Trump presidency um, the mission of the USSF according to their official website is 
The USSF is responsible for organizing, training, and equipping guardians to conduct global space operations and enhance the way our joint uh, and coalition forces fight. So officially, the mission relates primarily to protecting satellites and other space-based conventional military tools uh, to help you know, augment actions on Earth. But it's widely acknowledged that part of their focus is on defending against interstellar attacks. Um, one writer put it, as I quote in the book, along with aiding Earth-based military action and protecting American assets in space, the Space Force has also been tasked with developing a unified theory of space warfighting. I actually spoke in the research for Volume 2 with an officer in the USSF shortly after it was created who acknowledged that their focus is not just on earthly enemies, but, quote, his words, unknown enemies from other planets. That was his understanding of his own mission at the U.S. Space Force. So I want to take a moment, and this is a 13-minute clip from 60 Minutes, but as I was putting together my notes and trying to include stuff that I've written extensively in the books, I didn't want to just read to you, uh, you know, but I wanted to summarize the recent developments in the last six years uh, of, on the UFO front. You know, the modern UFO era began in the 1940s. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I thought this uh, summary here really encapsulates everything much more quickly with the key players uh, than I could if I were simply uh, reading from those sections in my book. So let's uh, watch this. Uh, it's about 13 minutes or so from 60 minutes. It's dated uh, May 16th, 2021 is when it aired. We have tackled many strange stories on 60 Minutes, but perhaps none like this. It's the story of the U.S. government's grudging acknowledgement of unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, more commonly known as UFOs. After decades of public denial, the Pentagon now admits there's something out there, and the U.S. Senate wants to know what it is. The Intelligence Committee has ordered the Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Defense to deliver a report on the mysterious sightings by next month. The story will continue in a moment. So what you're telling me is that UFOs, unidentified flying objects, are real. Bill, I think we're beyond that already. The government has already stated for the record that they're real. I'm not telling you that. The United States government is telling you that. Luis Elizondo spent 20 years running military intelligence operations worldwide in Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Guantanamo. He hadn't given UFOs a second thought until 2008. That's when he was asked to join something at the Pentagon called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP. The mission of ATIP was quite simple. It was to collect and analyze information involving anomalous uh, aerial vehicles. Uh, what I guess in the vernacular you, you call them UFOs. We call them UAPs. You know how this sounds. It sounds nutty, wacky. Look, Bill, I'm not, I'm not telling you that, that it doesn't sound wacky. What I'm telling you is real. The question is, what is it? What are its intentions? What are its capabilities? Buried away in the Pentagon, ATIP was part of a $22 million program sponsored by then-Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. 
to investigate UFOs. When Elizondo took over in 2010, he focused on the national security implications of unidentified aerial phenomena documented by U.S. service members. Imagine a technology that can do six to 700 G-forces, that can fly at 13,000 miles an hour, that uh, can evade radar, and that can fly through air and water and possibly space, and oh, by the way, has no obvious signs of propulsion, no wings, no control surfaces, and yet still can defy the natural effects of Earth's gravity. That's precisely what we're seeing. Elizondo tells us ATIP was a loose-knit mix of scientists, electro-optical engineers, avionics and intelligence experts, often working part-time. They combed through data and records and analyzed videos like this. A Navy air crew struggles to lock on to a fast-moving object off the U.S. Atlantic coast in 2015. Recently released images may not convince UFO skeptics, but the Pentagon admits it doesn't know what in the world this is. Or this. Or this. What do you say to the skeptics? It's refracted light. Uh, weather balloons. A rocket being launched. Venus. In some cases there are, are simple explanations for what people are witnessing. But there are some that that are not. We're not just simply jumping to a conclusion that's saying, oh, that's a UAP out there. We're going through our due diligence. Is it some sort of new type of cruise missile technology that China has developed? Is it some sort of high altitude balloon that's conducting reconnaissance? Ultimately, when you have exhausted all those what ifs and you're still left with, with the fact that this is in our airspace and it's real, that's when it becomes compelling and that's when it becomes problematic. Former Navy pilot Lieutenant Ryan Graves calls whatever is out there a security risk. He told us his F-18 squadron began seeing UAPs hovering over restricted airspace southeast of Virginia Beach in 2014 when they updated their jet's radar, making it possible to zero in with infrared targeting cameras. So you're seeing it both with the radar and with the infrared, and that tells you that there is something out there. Pretty hard to spoof that. These photographs were taken in 2019 in the same area. The Pentagon confirms these are images of objects it can't identify. Lieutenant Graves told us pilots training off the Atlantic coast see things like that all the time. Every day. Every day for at least a couple of years. Um, wait, wait a minute, every day for a couple of years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't see it as often. Including this one off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida in 2015, captured on a targeting camera by members of Graves' squadron. I can sort of hear the surprise in their voices. You certainly can. They seem to have broke character a bit. Uh, and we're just kind of amazed at what they were seeing. What do you think when you see something like this? This is a difficult one to explain. You have rotation, you have high altitudes, you have propulsion, right? I don't know. I don't know what it is, frankly. He told us pilots speculate they are one of three things. Secret U.S. technology, an adversary spy vehicle, or something otherworldly. I'd say, you know, the highest probability is it's a threat on 
observation program. Could it be Russian or Chinese technology? I don't see why not. Are you alarmed? I am worried, frankly. If these were tactical jets from another country that were hanging out up there, it would be a massive issue. But because it looks slightly different, we're not willing to actually look at the problem in the face. We're happy to just ignore the fact that these are out there watching us every day. The government has ignored it, at least publicly, since closing its Project Blue Book investigation in 1969. But that began to change after an incident off Southern California in 2004, which was documented by radar, by camera, and four naval aviators. We spoke to two of them, David Fravor, a graduate of the Top Gun Naval Flight School and commander of the F-18 squadron on the USS Nimitz, and flying in his wing, Lieutenant Alex Dietrich, who has never spoken publicly about the encounter. I never wanted to be on national TV. No offense. So why are you doing this? Because I was in a government aircraft, because I was on the clock. And so I feel a responsibility to share what I can, and it is unclassified. It was November 2004, and the USS Nimitz carrier strike group was training about 100 miles southwest of San Diego. For a week, the advanced new radar on a nearby ship, the USS Princeton, had detected what operators called multiple anomalous aerial vehicles over the horizon, descending 80,000 feet in less than a second. On November 14th, Fravor and Dietrich, each with a weapons system officer in the backseat, were diverted to investigate. They found an area of roiling white water the size of a 737 in an otherwise calm blue sea. So as we're looking at this, her backseater says, hey, skipper, do you? And about that got out, I said, dude, do you see that thing down there? And we saw this little white tic-tac looking object, and it's just kind of moving above the white water area. As Dietrich circled above, Fravor went in for a closer look. Sort of spiraling down? The tic-tac's still pointing north south, it goes, and just turns abruptly and starts mirroring me. So as I'm coming down, it starts coming up. So it's, it's mimicking your moves. Yeah, it was aware we were there. He said it was about the size of his F-18, with no markings, no wings, no exhaust plumes. So I'll see how close I get. So I go like this, and it's climbing still. And when it gets right in front of me, it just disappears. Disappears? Disappears. Like, gone. It had sped off. What are you thinking? So your, your mind tries to make sense of it. I'm going to categorize this as maybe a helicopter or maybe a drone and when it disappeared i mean it was just did your backseaters see this too yeah oh yeah there was four of us in the airplanes literally watching this thing for roughly about five minutes seconds later the princeton reacquired the target 60 miles away another crew managed to briefly lock onto it with a targeting camera before it zipped off again you know i think that over beers we've sort of said hey man if i saw this solo i don't know that i would have come back and said anything because it sounds so crazy when i say it you understand that reaction i do i've had some people tell me you know when you say that you can sound crazy i'll be honest i'm not a ufo guy but from what i hear you guys saying there's something yes oh there's there's definitely something that i don't know who's building it who's got the technology who's got the brains but there's there's something out there that was better than our airplane.
The aircrew filed reports. Then, like the mysterious flying object, the Nimitz encounter disappeared. Nothing was said or done officially for five years until Lou Elizondo came across the story and investigated. We spend millions of dollars in training these, these pilots, and they are seeing something that they can't explain. Furthermore, that information is being backed up on electro-optical data, like gun camera footage, and by radar data. Now, to me, that's compelling. Inside the Pentagon, his findings were met with skepticism. HIP's funding was eliminated in 2012, but Elizondo says he and a handful of others kept the mission alive. Until finally, frustrated, he quit the Pentagon in 2017, but not before getting these three videos declassified. And then things took a stranger turn. I tried to help my colleague, Lou Elizondo, elevate the issue in the department and actually get it to the Secretary of Defense. Christopher Mellon served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence for Presidents Clinton and George W. Bush and had access to top-secret government programs. So it's not us. That's one thing we know. We know that. I could say that with a very high degree of confidence, in part because of the positions I held in the department, and I know the process. Mellon says he grew concerned nothing was being done about UAPs, so he decided to do something. In 2017, as a private citizen, he surreptitiously acquired the three Navy videos Elizondo had declassified and leaked them to the New York Times. It's bizarre and unfortunate that someone like myself has to do something like that to get a national security issue like this on the agenda. He joined forces with now civilian Lou Elizondo, and they started to tell their story to anybody who would listen, to newspapers, the History Channel, to members of Congress. We knew and understood that you had to go to the public, get the public interested, to get Congress interested, to then circle back to the Defense Department and get them to start taking a look at it. And now it is. This past August, the Pentagon resurrected ATIP. It's now called the UAP Task Force. Service members now are encouraged to report strange encounters, and the Senate wants answers. Anything that enters an airspace that's not supposed to be there is a threat. After receiving classified briefings on UAPs, Senator Marco Rubio called for a detailed analysis. This past December, while he was still head of the Intelligence Committee, he asked the Director of National Intelligence and the Pentagon to present Congress an unclassified report by next month. This is a bizarre issue. The Pentagon and other branches of the military have a long history of sort of dismissing this. What makes you think that this time is going to be different? I mean, we're going to find out when we get that report. You know, there's a stigma on Capitol Hill. I mean, some of my colleagues are very interested in this topic and some kind of, you know, giggle when you, when you bring it up. But I, I don't think we can allow the stigma to keep us from having an answer to a very fundamental question. What do you want us to do about this? I want us to take it seriously and have a process to take it seriously. I want us to have a process to analyze the data every time it comes in, that there be a place where this is cataloged and constantly analyzed until we get some answers. Maybe it has a very simple answer. Um, maybe it doesn't. For more on the Nimitz encounter, I felt the vulnerability of not having anything to defend ourselves. Go to 60MinutesOvertime.com. Sponsored by Colaguard. So, the reason that a lot of these officials and, and high-level government people have trouble 
processing and, and kind of finding a box to put this in is because they don't have a biblical worldview. Like you heard that one uh, pilot say, you know, I was assuming it was a drone or a helicopter, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't add up. Um, for the record, by the way, you heard them t talk about how that one vehicle dropped 80,000 feet in one second. And that, that, I don't think we really understand the significance of that, so I did the math. <laughs> 80,000 feet is 15 miles. So 15 miles a second. There are 3,600 seconds in an hour, 60 minutes times 60 seconds, so 3,600 seconds in an hour. So that means this uh, vehicle was traveling 54,000 miles per hour. China can't do that. Russia can't do that. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you know, it may be the, the way their mental status is causing them to process this. Oh, this perhaps this is some enemy technology. Look, if any of our traditional global enemies had craft that could travel 54,000 miles an hour, we'd know about it, and we probably wouldn't still be here, at least as American citizens. Um, so really, this is uh, the only other option is that somehow this craft, whatever it is, is able to warp the, the space-time gravity continuum and, and travel from you know, point A to point B in, in some nonlinear fashion the way we're used to thinking of it. So on July 15, 2022, Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks, in coordination with the Director of National Intelligence, amended her original direction to the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security by renaming and expanding the scope of what ATIP became, ATIP that you heard Luis Elizondo, and I've been following him for years, by the way, long before the, the uh, 2017 New York Times article. Um, but ATIP, when it ended with its $22 million budget, became what, what the Congress kind of initiated and officially, openly uh, called the Airborne Object Identification and Management Group, but the AOIMSG was kind of difficult to say, so they changed the name on July 15, 2022, to the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or ARO. So if you hear people talking about ARO, that's the Department of Defense agency that is tasked with investigating these things and trying to figure out what they're doing. They present reports uh, to the Congress and Senate. Now, the one that Marco Rubio was talking about there, and I talk about this in the book, because this, remember, this video was from uh, May 16th, 2021, so it's a little bit dated. A lot's happened in the two years since then, but uh, the report, the first report that the Congress got was heavily redacted. It was uh, troubling enough because it had admissions that there's a lot of data that they just cannot explain. But it really didn't, you know, it didn't give people what they were really looking for. And then, of course, since then, they've had the first uh, open UFO hearing open to the public in 75 years. Um, and um, the, uh, the person that's in charge of Arrow. Uh, is Dr. Sean M. Kirkpatrick. Um, he was most recently the chief scientist at the DIA's Missile and Space Intelligence Center, but he's now the director of ERA. I kind of dug a little bit into his background. He's got a rather lengthy uh, resume working with CIA groups, intelligence agencies and groups, 
but anyway, he's the one that's tasked with leading this uh, all-domain anomaly resolution office, or uh, Arrow. Um, on April 12th, 2021, the Pentagon confirmed the authenticity of pictures and videos gathered by the what was the UAP task force, um, and uh, you know said we need we, we we can confirm that these are real. We don't know what they are, and that's why we need more money and more staff to try to uh, to figure them out. So, on April 19th, 2023, so just three weeks ago. Uh, the DOD issued this press release. I'll read it because it's probably too small on the screen. In July 2022, the Defense Department set up Arrow, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, to, among other things, identify unidentified anomalous phenomena that might pose a threat to national security and the operations of the military and federal agencies. UAP are anything in space, in the air, on land, in the sea, or under the sea that can't be identified and might pose a threat to U.S. military installations or operations. Sean M. Kirkpatrick, director of Aero, testified today, so this was April 19, 2023, at the Senate Armed Service Committee's Subcommittee on Emerging Threats and Capabilities. The department is working to better understand and respond to UAP. This is such an evolving and emerging uh, concept, at least in the public view. Again, we're going to talk about in a second how the government has been secretly studying and tracking and documenting and trying to figure out what these things are since 1947. Um, but it's, it's such an emerging thing that you're seeing. They haven't really settled on any particular acronym. So sometimes you'll see UAP, which again can either refer to unidentified aerial phenomena or unidentified anomalous phenomena. Phenomena in English is a plural. So you don't technically need to say UAPs, but yet the prevailing, you know, I had to look into all this when I wrote the book, the prevailing way that it's used in newspapers and magazines is UAPs mimicking UFOs. But technically it would be more accurate to say UAP. So this particular press release is using UAP in the plural. So Aero team scientists have taken important steps to improve UAP data collection, standardized internal reporting requirements, and implement a framework for rigorous scientific and intelligence analysis, resolving cases in a systematic and prioritized manner. You know, they're prioritizing these uh, objects that are uh, toying with our nuclear facilities, for example, or nuclear uh, ships and so forth. Um, the team is also reviewing UAP-related historical records. So if you've ever watched the History Channel, show about the Blue Book, we know there are whole buildings worth of millions of documents pertaining to 70 years and going and ongoing of official government uh, investigations into these uh, things. Uh, they said in this press release, quote, we cannot answer decades of questions about UAP all at once, but we must begin somewhere. While I assure you that Arrow will follow scientific evidence wherever it leads, I ask for your patience as DOD first prioritizes the safety and security of our military personnel and installations in all domains. And that was uh, Kirkpatrick, Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of Aero. Now, uh, how are we doing on time? So I want to I at least lay the foundation here for the dawn of the modern UFO period. Two incidents in the summer of 1947 captured the attention of the United States 
Air Force, the mainstream news media, and eventually the world stage. The first of these occurred in Washington State near Mount Rainier on June 24, 1947. It's often referred to as the Kenneth Arnold sighting. The second incident in 1947 occurred about 75 miles north of Roswell, New Mexico in mid-June, about the same time as the Kenneth Arnold sighting. It was not reported until about 10 days later in early July of 1947, but the Roswell incident actually took place about 10 days before it was reported, and it's called the, the Roswell Crash. Uh, it's a little more well-known than the one in Washington, but let's take the one in Washington first. At approximately 2 o'clock in the afternoon on June 24, 1947, Kenneth Arnold, an experienced pilot, was flying his three-seat Collair A3 airplane in the vicinity of Mount Rainier. Arnold was 32 years old and had his own business selling and installing automatic firefighting equipment across five western states. And he had purchased his plane in January of that year and spent up to 100 hours in the air each month on business. Well, that fateful day, he had planned to fly to Yakima, Washington after finish, finishing his work for the Central Air Service at Chalhalis, Washington to attend an air show. On the way to Yakima, he decided to spend about an hour or so time looking for a U.S. Marine Corps transport aircraft that had crashed somewhere near Mount Rainier in December of 1946. The wreckage had never been found, and they were offering a $5,000 reward to anyone who found it. In 1947, that would have been a lot of money. So the wreckage was eventually found, by the way, the next month. But anyway, after searching for an hour with no success, he headed toward Yakima, and uh, one uh, writer writes, quote, unable to see any wreckage, the pilot turned 360 degrees above the small town of Mineral and then headed for Mount Rainier again, climbing back to 9,200 feet. Arnold pointed the aircraft in the direction of Yakima, trimming it to fly straight and level with little input from himself, and he sat back to enjoy the spectacular view. A DC-4 transport uh, uh, up at around 14,000 feet was to his left and behind him, estimated at about 15 miles away. It was the only other thing in the sky with Kenneth Arnold in the general area, or at least so he believed. According to Arnold's written reports of the incident, the, quote, sky and air were clear as crystal, and, uh, end quote, and when a, quote, bright flash uh, reflected on my airplane, end quote. It lit up the cockpit and startled Kenneth. He spotted the source of the light left and north of Mount Rainier where he saw nine peculiar-looking aircraft flying from north to south at approximately 9,500 feet elevation and going seemingly in a different direction of about 170 degrees. Obviously, this is an artist's rendering based on his uh, account that he gave right after he landed from this uh, trip. Arnold noted in his report that the objects did not look like any kind of aircraft he had seen or heard of before. He continued, quote, I thought it was very peculiar that I couldn't find their tails, but, assuming they were, but assumed they were some type of jet plane. I was determined to clock their speed as I had two definite points I could clock them by. The air was so clear that it was very easy to see objects and determine their approximate shape and size at almost 50 miles away. The nine glowing objects, flying like geese that were in such a tight formation they appeared to be connected, were flying at 1,700 miles per hour, according to his calculations. He was dumbfounded. That was faster than any known aircraft could fly. As a former CNN reporter turned documentary filmmaker Bryce Zabel points out, at that time Chuck Yeager's X-1 was still four months away from managing 662 miles an hour. 
And this was clocked at set these were clocked at 1700 miles an hour. Arnold checked his math after he landed using a map and even allowing for some error he still came up with a speed that exceeded 1200 miles per hour at a minimum. More than the velocity, what stunned him was the absence of any wings, fuselage, tails, vertical stabilizers, or engines on the UFOs. He first told himself the objects must be some new military aircraft, but the military uh, was not conducting any tests in the area that day. Uh, Bryce Abel points out some historical context of what was going on that day, and then I elaborate on that from my own biblical perspective in the book. But uh, Bryce Abel writes, as the only nuclear-armed superpower, the United States had come out of the Second World War stronger, more powerful, and more secure than ever before in history. Yet even with the strategic advantage, 1947 was still the year that the Cold War with the Soviet Union got kicked into high gear with the announcement of the Truman Doctrine in March. This was also, coincidentally enough, the year that the famous Doomsday Clock was initiated by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, 1947. Big year. You know, I, I believe in God's plan of the ages. Uh, we still hear references. I've referenced it to the doomsday clock, uh, which is what the atomic scientists use to track how close they are, the way they think we are, to a nuclear annihilation. Also in that year, Europe was still an incredible disaster area. The famous Marshall Plan to rebuild the nations devastated by Hitler's rampage and the Allies' relentless and destructive counterattack would not become law until nearly a year later. U.S. Secretary of State George Marshall, however, made the pitch on June 5, 1947, in a speech at Harvard. This was the year, as I mentioned, that Chuck Yeager would make the first supersonic flight, uh, the one that made uh, famous, uh, it was made famous in the book and the film The Right Stuff. Um, so, let's see, it was also the year that America suffered its greatest commercial aviation disasters on back-to-back -back days, May 29th and May 30th, 1947, losing 42 and 53 lives respectively, uh, the greatest up to that time, obviously. The big news out of Washington, uh, D.C. on the third day of summer in 1947, June 23rd, was that the Taft-Hartley Act, which was a, a, a federal law that was going to sort of curtail labor union activity, uh, went into effect in the United States when the Senate overrode President Truman's veto by a vote of 68 to 25. With political division on the front pages, no one was thinking about flying saucers or expecting news about such matters to come from the other Washington, the state on the opposite side of the country. But what a difference a day makes. On June 25, 1947, uh, the day after the Kenneth Arnold sighting, he, he was flying the 23rd, he came down the next day, he reported it the day after the reporting. The East Oregonian newspaper in Pendleton, Oregon, became the first newspaper to report on it in a short article at the bottom of the first Page, journalist Nolan Skiff referred to the objects Arnold saw as saucer-like based upon his interview with Kenneth Arnold, and that's the first known reference to flying saucers, a term uh, that is etched within UFO nomenclature to this day. By the way, that headline got it wrong. It wasn't in Oregon that he saw these. It was over Washington near Mount Rainier. The other uh, UFO sighting that happened around that same time that launched the dawn of the modern UFO area was the Roswell crash. Uh, it was not discovered, as I said, until early July. It was during this time that rancher Mac Brazel discovered a collection of strange debris scattered across his employer's land southeast of Corona, New Mexico. He drove some of it into town, primarily to complain to the local army base, thinking they had crashed one of their secret planes. One of the first to investigate was Major Jesse Marcel. 
uh, Randy's done some research on, on that, uh, who is an, as an intelligence officer immediately assessed this was not military property but something stranger. The Roswell Army Air Force Base outside of the town, responded vigorously, cleaning up the rancher site and another one. There were two crash sites, by the way. In addition to debris, the rumors start, started circulating that they found a craft and bodies at the second site. Many of the locals, including future Apollo 14 pilot and Roswell resident Edgar Mitchell, said this publicly. In the immediate aftermath, Colonel William Blanchard, base commander, instructed Lieutenant Walter Hout to release a hastily drafted press release describing the wreckage as a, quote, flying disc. The local paper headlined their own story with the Roswell uh, Air, uh, Air, uh, Army Air Force uh, Base uh, headline, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. Well, much more can and has been said about the Roswell crash. I'm reading now from my book. But for our purposes, it's enough to know that something very strange happened there in June of 1947. Um, Edgar Mitchell said, quote, make no mistake, Roswell happened. I've seen secret files, which now the government would show the government knew about it, but decided not to tell uh, the public. Now, what I suggest in the book, and I think it makes perfect sense if you understand God's word, is that the upsurge that we saw around 1947, and really it was even uh, earlier, uh, there in the early 40s in 1945, you had the Foo Fighters, which was an allied and Axis pilots alike, uh, saw uh, these weird, mysterious objects in the skies over both the European and Pacific theaters. Then in 1946 in Scandinavia, there were the so-called ghost rockets, again, unexplained aerial objects of some kind. And I believe that all of this, coupled with the big sightings that we just read about, uh, are a reaction demonically and spiritually by Satan because after World War II, he knew that there was talk because he can send out his demons and he can hear. He's not omniscient and omnipresent, but certainly demons can hear. You know, they had a conversation with Jesus. We read about that last time. Um, and he was aware of the plan to reinstate Israel as a nation. Remember, for 1,800 years, ever since 70 A.D. or so, Israel had not been a nation anymore. And uh, now, all of a sudden, they're going to be given their homeland back in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, and become a nation again, which they did in 1948. And so I believe hearing that caused Satan to think, well, God must be getting close to his end times plan, because Satan knows the Bible better than most Christians, and he knows that God's end times plan involves Israel. And so if uh, Israel is becoming a nation again, he must think, well, maybe God's getting close to this final uh, battle. We better get ready. We better send out some reconnaissance missions. And sure enough, we see an upsurge. And then it just gets worse and worse in the seven decades, uh, almost eight decades now, uh, since then. Uh, well, sensing that something serious was going on, the U.S. Air Force established Project Sign on December 30th, 1947. And those involved in the project issued a report on February 11, 1949. Details of that report were released to the press a couple of months later in a memorandum entitled Project Saucer, in which they lied and claimed there was nothing to be concerned about. But belying the Air Force's alleged lack of concern, they continued to investigate UFOs for the next officially 20 years. The name of the original UFO investigation 
project. Project Sign was later changed to Project Grudge, as you see on the screen there, on December 16, 1948. Project Grudge continued until 1942 when it was changed to Project Blue Book, by far the most famous of all the UFO investigation projects that was run by the uh, Air Force. Um, between 19, this is uh, Graham Rendell again, between 1954 and its cancellation allegedly in December of 1969, but we now know from all of the you know, ATIP and OSAP and all of these other groups that have come out in the last six years that this was ongoing. It never stopped. It just kind of went uh, underground even more so. But between 1954 and its cancellation in 1969, Project Blue Book had four commanding officers and during its existence collected over 12,600 separate UFO reports. The project also looked at cases which had occurred prior to its creation. The thousands of pages of documents that comprise the Blue Book archives represent an invaluable resource in terms of witness reports and diagrams and drawings plus official commentary. And we just read a DOD press release from three weeks ago in which they admitted they're looking at past historical data as well as the new data that is happening all around on both coasts off of America. So uh, it's interesting um, that the, the leaders of Blue Book, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was an accomplished astronomer and scientific advisor to both Sign Grudge and Blue Book, once explained away as a mouthpiece for the government UFOs as swamp gas, but he later changed his view very famously and became a leading ufologist. He admitted that many of the UFOs he studied for the government defied naturalistic explanations and he came to be one of the leading proponents of the interdimensional view. Not necessarily a Christian or biblical worldview in terms of thinking of them as evil spirits, but at least acknowledging that they're not aliens from other uh, planets. Um, History Channel has a uh, uh, series that uh, started back in January 8th of 2019, and it reviews real, actual files from the Project Blue Book uh, archives. Interestingly, Jalen Hynek and his colleague, another world-renowned ufologist, Jacques Vallée, both served as consultants to Steven Spielberg's 1977 Hollywood blockbuster Close Encounters of the Third Kind, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, the film is named after Hynek's uh, scale, uh, you know, the first encounter, second encounter, you know, third kind, first kind, second kind, third kind. Uh, and Hynek made a cameo in that movie uh, as well. So here's a short one-minute clip that I got from uh, the, the movie Alien Intrusion, which is an excellent documentary by uh, CMI Ministries uh, that kind of talks about Blue Book. So let's just watch this. When Spielberg made his movie, The um, Close, Encounters. Close Encounters, he actually had ufologists or ufologists or whatever advising him on, on, on how that all worked. Yeah. Well, the lead character in the movie was a Frenchman. Uh, I think the character's name was Lacombe, but it was based upon a real ufologist by the name of Jacques Vallée. And he was a contemporary of another gentleman called Dr. J. Allen Hynek. They're both physical scientists. And those two gentlemen were collaborators. And the movie was actually based around you know, sort of their research and the, mis the mysterious things that they found out. In fact, Heineck, even more interestingly, was a government researcher under a project called Blue Book. The US government has investigated UFOs for over 40 years in different projects. And he found that, you know, the majority could be explained naturally or as either man-made phenomena, but he said there was a mysterious element that defied naturalistic explanation. You know, these craft have been seen to change shapes. 
Uh, they defy the laws of physics. You know, American fighter pilots have gone up, seen these balls of light and shot at them, and they've disappeared before their eyes. They've disappeared off radar screen. So as a physical scientist, he said, well, there's a, a mystery there that I need to solve. So, you know, some people who don't know, they've never studied, never looked into this, you'll hear this especially in some Bible prophecy, you know, genres, they're suggesting that this newfound interest in mainstream media that started in December of 2017 with the New York Times article is all just some big fake and it's some big uh, deception to prepare the way for the rapture. Certainly Satan may use this as a pretext to explain the rapture after the rapture, but this stuff has been going on for decades, and, and scientists and top-level military experts and government officials have been studying it forever. This wasn't new. What's new is the intensity of it, the amount of it, and it kind of finally boiled over to the point where they created an entire new branch of the army to kind of look into it because these people don't know what it is. They, don't, they, don't, they think that we are experiencing an existential threat to humanity from some, many of them presumed, uh, alien planet somewhere in outer space. Um, so uh, try as they might to downplay the presence of UFOs according to the U official UFO, U.S. Air Force website, 701 of the UFO sightings investigated by Blue Book remain unidentified. Uh, one of the most notorious examples of the ongoing government cover-up surrounding UFOs was the Robertson Panel, which was established by the CIA in December of 1952. I talk about this in the book. Uh, the panel was formed after the widely reported Washington, D.C. UFO flap, as it's called, that happened in July of 1952 on two consecutive weekends, July 19th and 20th and July 26th and 27th, UFOs invaded the airspace over our nation's capital and created widespread uh, panic. In a July 21st, 2002 article for the Washington Post, uh, it describes it this way, in the control tower at Washington National Airport, now called Ronald Reagan Washington National Air Airport, Ed Nugent saw seven pale, violent blips on his radar screen. What were they? Not planes, at least not any planes that were supposed to be there. He summoned his boss, Harry G. Barnes, the head of National Air Traffic Controllers. Here's a fleet of flying saucers for you, Nugent said, half-joking. Upstairs in the tower's glass-enclosed top floor, controller Joe Zacco saw a strange blip streaking across his radar screen. It wasn't a bird. It wasn't a plane. What was it? He looked out the window and spotted a bright light hovering in the sky. He turned to his partner, Howard Coughlin, who was sitting three feet away. Look at that bright light, Zacco said. If you believe in flying saucers, this could be one for sure. And then the light took off, zooming away at an incredible speed. Did you see that? Coughlin remembers saying. What was that? It was Saturday night, July 19, 1952, one of the most famous dates in the bizarre history of UFOs. Before the night was over, a pilot reported seeing unexplained objects. Radar at two local Air Force bases, Andrews and Bowling, picked up the UFOs, and two Air Force F-94 jets streaked over Washington searching for these flying saucers. Then a week later, it all happened all over again. More UFOs on the radar screen, more jets scrambling over Washington. Across the America, the story of jets uh, chasing UFOs uh, over the White House uh, knocked the Korean War and the presidential campaign off the front pages of the newspapers. The story was the talk of the country. Here's the Washington Post. Saucer outran jet, pilot reveals. So you just you don't hear this stuff, but it's, it's right there in plain sight. Um, uh, 
the, according to the post story here that you see on the screen, the, the UFOs hovered at 1,700 feet above the White House lawn. The New York Daily News headline, Jets Chase D.C. Sky Ghosts, Cedar Rapids Gazette, uh, in second coming type, saucers swarm over Capitol. The Times Tribune in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Air Force orders anti-saucer alert. Compelling video footage of the D.C. invasion, as it is often called, still exists, and you can see it on YouTube, at least as the time of uh, my writing of this book. So President Truman rightly wanted answers. He was concerned. He convened the Robertson panel. They hastily got together. This was 1952, and they quickly brushed it all aside, said nothing to see or keep moving. But, of course, secretly, they continued through Project Blue Book, which was previously grunge and uh, sign, to investigate these things uh, on uh, and on. Here's another short uh, clip just highlighting several of the more famous UFO sightings that uh, I talk about in the book. Over the years, there have been numerous disclosure conferences held at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. On each occasion, large numbers of ex-U.S. Air Force and other military officers, sometimes 80 or more, gave personal testimonies regarding their own UFO sightings. Unknown aerial objects have, in fact, been observed over many of our nuclear weapons bases and other nuclear facilities, and in some cases, the appearance of these objects uh, coincided with compromising our, the operational readiness of our nuclear weapons. There were three or four objects in the north, brightly colored, changing from elliptical to round, and moving at very high speed and sharp angular movements as though they were doing a grid search. We can clearly say, based on radar data, which are empirical, not anecdotal, that these objects have been tracked since the early 1950s, if not earlier, traveling up to 7,000 miles per hour, making right angle turns at high rates of speed, instantaneously hovering, reversing course. If we or the Russians or any country on Earth had those kinds of craft in the early 50s, why have we spent the last several decades developing fixed-wing aircraft of far inferior abilities? Uh, these are clearly, in my view, a technology uh, from somewhere else piloted by beings from obviously another world or another dimension. Now, Heineck and Valley and many others who've investigated the UFO phenomenon don't necessarily believe these are alien spacecraft. In fact, they came to the conclusion it was something much stranger and most likely interdimensional. The evidence is overwhelming that people from all over the world and all walks of life have seen unidentified flying objects, with most believing that these are spaceships from another planet or another star system. So we could talk about, you know, the Phoenix Lights, which was 1997, March 13th. Um, we could talk about, uh, there, there's so many different examples uh, that, have, that have been talked about for those who were taking the time uh, to look at. There was one in Bush Airport, uh, what used to be called Intercontinental Airport in Houston, back when I was growing up there. Um, and so here's an interesting clip. This is from uh, Ronald Reagan's address before the 42nd session of the United Nations General Assembly. 
uh, September 21st, 1987. So again, I'm just trying to document that this has been steadily increasing ever since the 40s, and what we see recently is not just some kind of a made-up story. It's all the culmination of what I believe is an upsurge in evil spirit activity. But this is what Reagan said September 21st, 1987. In our obsession with antagonism to the moment, we often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Hmm. Sounds like we need a one world government, doesn't it? To, you know, to kind of protect us against some global threat. Uh, so from 2017 to the present, we kind of update you on where we're at today. The mainstream media starts to report on multiple UFO sightings. The government start to admit the existence of UFOs and the true extent of the reported sightings and how much they've been studying them. UFOs are renamed UAPs. Netflix releases multiple UFO documentaries. Joe Rogan has an ex-service men, several on his podcast, admitting they've seen UAPs in American airspace. Uh, former President Barack Obama admits on live TV that UFOs exist. This is from CBS's The Late Show with James Corden, May 17, 2021. I quote this in my book. He's kind of joking at first, and then he says, but what is true, and I'm actually being serious here, is that there are, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain how they moved their trajectory. They did not have an easily explainable pattern. And so, you know, I think that people still take seriously trying to investigate and figure out what that is. But I have nothing to report to you today, because Corden was asking him about disclosure. A Harvard scientist Robert Duncan openly talks about Project Blue Beam on a podcast, which has since been removed from uh, the YouTube uh, channel, but you can still find it on alternative sites. April 20th, 2023, again, just, what, less than three weeks ago, the Space Force Chief, uh, General B. Chance Saltzman, says, quote, uh, the U.S. is facing a new era of threats beyond Earth. See, what do they know, or I guess maybe a better way to say it is, what do they not know that we don't know they don't know? Because <laughs> you know? they don't know. They don't know what this is. That's the, that's the point. This was fascinating. Uh, also April 20th, on uh, a Thursday, leaders from across the U.S. intelligence community began arriving in Ohio for an unprecedented national security briefing at Wright-Pat Air Force Base. Among those in attendance at the Friday briefing are Director of National Intelligence, the DNI, uh, Avril Haines, CIA Director William Burns, General Paul Nakasone, Director of the National Security Agency, and Central Security Service Chief. I mean, that's a pretty high-powered list of attendees when you stop to think about it. Also, several members of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence were scheduled to attend, including the U.S. Representative uh, Mike Turner, the chair of the committee, and Jim Himes, the Democrat ranking member of the committee. This was just three weeks ago. Uh, Himes, the, the ranking member of the committee, a Democrat from Connecticut said, quote, I don't recall the committee ever doing anything like this, where we get together outside at an Air Force base, uh, you know, to have a meeting. Makes you kind of wonder what was there, Randy, don't you think, at Wright Pat? Um, 
But anyway, Himes and Turner said the purpose of the retreat, retreat is to ensure that intelligence officials are knowledgeable about activities that are occurring at Wright-Patterson, which houses both the National Space Intelligence Center and the National Air and Space Intelligence Center, both of which will be among the items addressed at that upcoming briefing. All right, well, um, I'm going to stop there uh, and save the rest for our next uh, meeting. We're going to get into the whole abduction phenomena, how that comports with uh, demonic activity. Um, but uh, I want to open it up to questions. I'm sure there are some questions and comments, but I always want to leave you with this encouragement. I spent a lot of time at the beginning in Scripture talking about how this fits with the biblical paradigm, but never forget, as I quoted earlier, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have nothing to fear from all this, but it should excite us to see that Satan is all in a tizzy with his evil spirits trying to get ready for something. What is it? And it should, you know, indicate that we're even closer uh, than ever to the return of the Lord. A couple of quick announcements before I throw it open in case anybody does have to leave. We, our stated time is 7.30, so I totally understand if people need to slip out, but I'll stick around here for some questions here in just a second. But a big announcement is next Tuesday, no prophecy night. So we'll send out an email, we'll post it on the website and so forth, but I want to let you guys know, no Prophecy Night next Tuesday. We will pick up again in two weeks. I'll be in Oklahoma City at Prophecy Watchers doing a bunch of uh, TV uh, segments uh, with them, which I'm really excited about. And so uh, we're just, I'm not going to be able to be back in time for Prophecy Night. So give you two weeks to chew on all this UFO stuff, then we'll come back and dive into it some more. Several, lots of new uh, content uh, at Not By Works Ministries from last week. And this week, yesterday, I was on David Fiorazzo. We talked about the Luciferian timetable. Uh, also wrote a new article yesterday that will be going out in the Thursday newsletter for Plum Creek Chapel, but it's already posted at the Not By Works site called Friends Through Thick and Thin. I hope you'll check that out. Last week, we had a podcast called The Days Are Evil, which was a great uh, interaction with a couple of guys uh, in uh, Wisconsin, the second time we've had them on. I was with uh, Life Clips uh, podcast on Wednesday night, and we talked for an hour and a half about false gospels and doctrines of demons. Uh, really excited about this one here, uh, Israel's Guaranteed Future in Bible Prophecy. That was from last week uh, as well. That was with um, oh, Christian Underground News Network. An interesting side note on this one, I got an email that someone uh, who is an unbeliever but is, a, is Jewish and has, the Lord has been bringing several things across this person's path in kind of prompting them to consider the gospel and possibly trust in Christ. Listen to this and was blown away by, I listed 12 biblical reasons that Israel has a guaranteed future in Bible prophecy. And it, it, it really, you know, has gotten their attention. They, they didn't say they've trusted Christ, but it's gotten their attention. Two upcoming conferences are not necessarily upcoming, but two big ones that I want to talk to you about. This one is upcoming in a couple of weeks. I'll be in uh, Tulsa for the Mid-America Prophecy Conference. I'm speaking twice there. Um, and then uh, in October, I'm back at Prophecy Watchers again for the Imminent Return Prophecy Summit. That's in Norman, Oklahoma. So I hope you'll make plans to either come out or live stream uh, those conferences. Okay, let's uh, take a moment and see what comments or questions you have. And uh, uh, we're going to use the mic again to uh, be sure and uh, pick up the, for the audience that's live streaming. But who has a comment or question, and who would be willing to run the mic around after this first question? So you bring the mic. Okay. Uh, so if one of these things uh, lands in our parking lot here, 
would I be able to go out there and touch it, you know, tap on it? Yes. And, and then what, what or who would be actually driving the thing? So the question, is, well, you heard the question. I don't have to repeat the question anymore. Uh, so yes, uh, it, they're very much physical. That's the whole point of these good angel and bad angel manifestations. They take on physical form, so much so that they had you know, sexual relations with women and produced a race of hybrids, so much so that they could sleep in beds and shake hands and eat and stuff in Lot's day, so much so that Paul, or the writer of Hebrews says, uh, you know, you might be talking to a stranger and not, not know it. If you were talking to, the, to a stranger who maybe stops to help you change a flat tire and they cut off their arm, it would bleed. So they absolutely are taking on physical realm, physical material, and yes, they, you would be able to touch it. So. And a nine millimeter won't kill it. <laughs> yeah, it depends what kind it is, but if it's an ethylene, yeah. possibly, but yeah. Okay. Somebody else with a comment or question? Okay, over here, wait for the mic so we can pick it up. The mic, as you can tell, is not amplifying for the room, but it's picking up crystal clear on our uh, podcast, I mean, our video. I have a question. I have a question about the time frame of um, when angels were created. They're created beings. Yeah. And then um, when was Satan and his angels? Yeah, so we talked about that last week, uh, timetable of angelic creations. All of creation was created in six literal 24-hour days about 6,000 years ago, uh, if you believe the Bible. Now, Darwin came along and tried to convince us that the Earth is millions and billions of years old. They used carbon-14 dating, which has been soundly refuted. I mean, they, they used a Kentucky Fried Chicken bone and said it was millions of years old. So, I mean, that, that, that Darwinian science has been debunked again and again. The earth is not millions of years old. It's 6,000 years old, according to the Bible. And so everything that was created was, takes place in that time frame. We don't know specifically when the angelic beings were created, but they are definitely created beings. As far as Satan's fall, we talked about this last week. Uh, someone asked the same question. And by the way, I got an email from someone who espouses the gap theory view, and they were just insisting that, that I was wrong on my answer and that uh, Satan fell between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Very familiar with the gap theory. In fact, I'm familiar, you know, having been in academia and, and systematic theology for 30 years with a lot of ridiculous theories that are not true, and I don't bring them all up. Uh, but the gap theory, a lot of people actually hold it. It was popularized by the Schofield Reference Bible, and I love Schofield. He's a hero of mine, a great dispensational scholar, but he was dead wrong on that. He was capitulating to Darwinian science, but the theory goes something like this, that there's a gap of time in Scripture between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1 verse 2. And God created the earth. It was perfect. Then Satan fell from heaven, was cast out. That corrupted the earth, and he lived for millions of years, and that's when the dinosaurs lived, and death and destruction was happening. But then finally God said, I'm going to recreate the earth, and that's what starts in verse 2 when he sort of does a do-over. But first, there's several reasons that doesn't work. Let me just quickly run through them uh, in case you might be wondering the same thing. Number one, the Hebrew grammar, according to the top <coughs> Hebrew scholars, tell us that simply is not possible to have a gap of time between verse 1 and verse 2. It flows naturally and perfectly, grammatically and syntactically together. Secondly, Jesus very plainly says that from the beginning of creation, God made man, male, and female. Not millions of years after creation from the beginning of creation. So you don't have this length of time 
you know, between an original creation and a subsequent recreation. And the third one is that uh, you can't have millions of years of death like the dinosaurs and other, you know, uh, be, uh, living organisms uh, prior to sin because the Bible tells us that death came after sin as a result of sin. But according to the gap theory, you've got millions of years of time and death and destruction, then man's created, then he sins, but the Bible tells us that death came because of sin, not before sin. So I, I would encourage you to dig a little deeper if you've been intrigued by the gap theory. We don't need it. We don't need a gap theory to explain anything. All it was trying to do was, was get, make you know, people fit the Bible into science. Science is a liar. Science frequently is bought and paid for and lying. The earth is not millions of years old. Let's just stick with what the Bible says. So, but back to the question, all we can say with certainty is that Satan's fall was after creation began, because he's a created being, and it was probably, I speculated, very soon after Adam and Eve were created, because God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, and this was before sin, so the, you know, their relations would have been perfect, unhindered, they would have had children you know, automatically, uh, and so if it had been nine months or more, we'd have had children before the fall. We don't see children before the fall. The Bible tells us uh, Cain and Abel and the other children came after the fall. So probably very soon after they were created, Satan approached them, they fell, and, uh, and then you know, had children and got kicked out of the garden and so forth and so on. So good question. Up here. You may have answered this last week, um, but I know that demons often look for a body to possess for the, you know, the non-believers, but can they become an enti a human entity or shapeshift like angels can? I mean, I know we talk about the angels. Look at Absolutely, yeah. A fallen angels and unfallen angels can both take on human form. So we have both examples in Scripture. Uh, we have the good angels that were visiting Lot, uh, and then we have the bad angels that probably raped the women and cr created this res human women and created this race of hybrids. So, no, no, they don't have to have a body. So, well, the, Satan is these are intrusions of Satan and his army to try to corrupt the gene pool to create, a, create an increased army for his use because uh, Nephilim are not human, they're hybrids, they're not redeemable, they're not human beings uh, and so they're creating their own race um, so yeah, it's just all part of Satan's wicked scheming and wicked planning but I have a whole chapter on shape-shifting in the book where I talk about animal shape-shifting and I don't think it was last week but maybe the week before we got into some of those uh, manifestations of uh, non-human evil entities like you know Bigfoot and other other manifestations of cryptids is the, what the technical term for that is again if you don't have a biblical worldview and you're not a Christian you might think oh these are weird animals that you know Bigfoot's biological and all they got to do is capture him and put him in a zoo you know but if you understand biblically it, it makes more sense so anybody else good questions Okay. So my question is, with these UFOs 
going back and forth and you're finding that there's certain events that happen is there certain events that are always happening when these appear and well, co and could it be that satan has sent his demons to particular places to i don't know disrupt things or cause things to happen yeah absolutely they're they have a purpose in mind they're not just out for a joyride so in some cases they've uh shut down nuclear facilities. I tell that story in the book. Uh, in fact, you saw in the one clip that I played that General Salas, he was the one that was on site when that happened. Where was it? Do you remember, was it Montana? Anyway, one of these uh, nuclear missile silos that completely went dark, you know, and these, as these orbs were flying all around the missile silos and couldn't explain it. Um, so yeah, they have a, they have, they can obviously they can come to torment. They can come to bring fear. Uh, that we know that fallen angels came and cohabited with women and that uh, left their proper domain, as the Book of Jude tells us. Um, so yeah, they have a a uh, purpose, uh, and you know Satan is doing all he can to to get his side of the team, his team, if you will, ready uh, for the battle. We may not always understand why. Uh, we may not be able to connect the dots necessarily, but uh, you can tell they're evil, that's for sure. Someone else? Great questions. I got a question by email that I thought I would share because it was really a good one. The question, quite simply put, was can uh, an atheist be a Satanist? And my answer is uh, there are plenty of people who claim to be atheists and also worship Satan, but they're inconsistent because technically, if they don't believe in God, then Satan has no antagonist. There, you know, what purpose does Satan serve? There's no enemy. If you believe in a protagonist, you got to have an antagonist. So it's not consistent to be an atheist and be a Satanist. Uh, technically, an atheist wouldn't believe in Satan or God, but uh, if you if you, want, if you look around, you'll find people that claim to be atheists, just meaning they don't believe in God, but yet they still, in some cases, even worship uh, the devil. So, Anybody else before we wrap up for tonight? All right, good stuff. So now that's, that's my UFO uh, discussion and lots more in the book, uh, spiritoftheantichrist.org, and we have some out in the lobby on the table. If you don't already have it, pick it up. Do your own research as always. I don't claim to have it all figured out, but I tell you what, as always, the biblical worldview gives us the best and really only explanation for interpreting all the craziness that's going on in this world. All right, God bless you, everyone. Remember, we'll see you in two weeks. No Prophecy Night next Tuesday.